Margaret Mead, she was an, um, an anthropologist, she was once asked by a student, what was the first sign of civilization in a culture? And the student expected her to talk about clay pots or grinding stones. The first sign of a civilization was when they found a femur, like a thigh bone that had been broken and healed. Animals in the wild, if you break a femur or thigh bone, it can't heal. A community coming together, that's where civilization starts. It's where we take the time to stay with the person who fell, bound the wound, carry them to safety, take care of them, and heal them back. We're really our best when we serve and help one another. We're all in this together. That is the voice of Jennifer Lawson, Executive Director, American Heart Association. She joins me today to discuss heart health, advocacy, and community impact. You are listening to the podcast with John C. Lemon. Miss Lawson, welcome. Hi, John. Thank you for inviting us. Glad that you're here. What role does the American Heart Association play, and how has that role changed since the COVID-19 pandemic? To give you an overview, American Heart Association is almost a hundred-year-old organization. We were started in 1924 by cardiologists out of New York, believe it or not. And so for the past almost 100 years, we fund heart disease and stroke research nationwide. We focus on advocacy efforts and we focus on local grassroots community impact. And so a lot of the medicines you see in your cabinet, American Heart has advocated for those or researchers have discovered those. Medicated stents, pacemakers, American Heart Association investigators help to develop those. So other than the United States government, American Heart Association has had a hand in the health of our communities. And recently, we've really had to shift our focus. So what we've done specifically to, to address COVID-19 in, immediately in March, so we will always invest in science and research. We are a science-based organization. So 20% of every dollar raised goes to research. What we did is we immediately invested $2.5 million to investigate cardiovascular and cerebral neurovascular implications of coronavirus. And so this was a fast-tracked, rapid research fund to help researchers better understand cardio and cerebrovascular disease. And so $1.2 million in grants went to 12 institutions and then um, an additional 400,000 in research grants were focused on cardiovascular impact of COVID-19. And so that research is taking place right now. It's, it's really incredible to think what they're going to come out with and what kind of guideposts and findings they will share that then will be passed down to hospital systems and our agencies nationwide to better understand like what's going on with the health of our community in terms of COVID-19. COVID-19, how does it affect the heart. I know it makes the heart work harder, and I know it affects the lungs as well. Could you elaborate? Why does it make the heart work so hard? Scientists are still investigating this. Essentially, what we are finding right now 
in some instances, COVID causes myocarditis. That just means infection of the heart. And so just like COVID-19 is infecting your lungs, it can cause an infection of the heart, which then makes it have to beat more, pump harder to get blood through your body, or your heart then has to fight off that infection. And we don't know why that is. I mean, the easy answer is because it's an infection and COVID just gets into your body and infects what it can. But what we're seeing is like in some folks, it'll infect the heart and they'll have myocarditis. And in others, it'll infect the lungs or maybe it'll infect other organs. And so there's not a rhyme or reason that if you get it, here's exactly what's going to happen. That's the scary part and what scientists are really looking into. It's like, why can Joe get it and be asymptomatic where Susie has a fever? But then poor Jimmy is like hospitalized with myocarditis and needs ventilator assistance. And so I mentioned, you know, all the funds that are being poured into research. That's what we're trying to figure out is like, why does it affect people so differently? And then also, what do you do with those findings? And so one other metric American Heart put in place, we started this, we have this data registry, it's called Get With the Guidelines. And hospitals across the country can upload their heart attack and stroke information, right? So get what the guidelines means. A hospital has the best procedures in place to save your life if you're having a heart attack or stroke. Cone, Baptist, Novant, all are get what the guidelines certified. They're all top level in our region. This COVID-19 registry is a free arm of get what the guidelines. And so UC Davis in California, Yale, Cone, University of Michigan Medical Center, they can all upload their patient information to say, we saw this person with COVID, here's how we treated them, here were their symptoms, here were the outcomes. And so hospitals can take a look at that and see how people were treated nationally, and then maybe adjust their protocol for patient outcomes. But that's the tricky part. With this virus, that's why we are researching it so quickly because it's like ever changing and it impacts people differently. We're waiting in anticipation for something that can get us back to normalcy. There are those suggesting the possibility of a drug being ready by the end of this year. Some have said a vaccine could be ready by early next year. As far as testing and getting everything mass produced, and ready to distribute to the public. What would you say? I would say there's a lot that is being worked on right now, and this is a very complex issue. Just like heart disease is a very complex issue, like it affects over 50% of the population. So I've seen those same studies. I I don't know if you saw, I think it was this morning, I saw um, a test that Yale helped to develop where you can test for COVID through your saliva. And so that might be coming to market soon. So you, you hear of all these coming to market tests and then vaccines might be ready by early 2021. I hope they do for the health of our community. I hope they do. The science is working on it. Like I mentioned that $14 million, multiple disciplinary teams are working on it. But here's also what I'd caution. So people are working on it, but think about this. It takes 10 years bench to bedside for a lot of these like heart devices to be discovered, the FDA approves it and it's implemented. Now that that is a heart device. That is like a medicated stent or a pacemaker. Vaccines take less time than that, but we wanna make sure it's safe. We wanna make sure that the Food and Drug Administration tests it and that it goes through trial and error and testing before it's available to the public. So while I'm hopeful, from the American Heart Association stance, I have not heard of a set date to say like, 
this is in the final testing stages. Here is the date where it'll be released to the public. I have not heard it. I think we're all waiting with like bated breath for that. UNC Chapel Hill, a 30,000 student campus, has decided after students have been on campus just for a week that fall classes will be entirely online. Apparently, there was a party, a gathering. A short time after, there's an outbreak. I think the chancellor mentioned there has been four separate outbreaks. We have to draw a connection between our behavior and results and how it affects other people, those around us. What can we do to press upon people that, hey, there is cause and effect here? I think, number one, seeing real life situations like this, it's an aha moment. Like, this is serious. It is real. We, we knew this might happen if there were parties and there were people not social distancing. But now that you see these pockets of outbreaks, and I think I, had, I saw either it was 117 or 177, like, confirmed cases in the UNC Chapel Hill system. We said this would likely happen if you don't follow guidelines. And now we know for sure. So I think our leadership just has to put these safety precautions in place because look, we wanted proof that it was real and that something like this was going to happen. Well, here's the proof. I know a lot of our board members here work for higher ed. Um, Actually, our board president, Dr. Cynthia Brown, works at Winston-Salem State University, and she's been working all summer to put safety protocols in place for their campus. I know leadership is talking about it. It's the students then complying and doing the right thing. And, you know, we were college kids. You remember what that feels like. I know what they want, but it's being gracious and being flexible and being safe so we can get through this as a society. There's no question about it. The coronavirus has disrupted our lives. There's no getting around that. I'm ready for things to go back to normal. And of course, everyone is. That's an understatement. Once again, we want to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. This is not groundwork for a political argument, but it was said recently that children are almost immune. Coronavirus doesn't affect children the way it does adults. Based upon that premise, then it's okay to send kids back to school. In your line of work, how difficult is it for you to combat misinformation and to actually get science-based information to the community? I think it's more important than ever to be steady and consistent with messaging. You know, like we know the warning signs for heart attack and stroke. And consistently, we can share that messaging. We know what your blood pressure should be. So consistently, 120 over 80 or less, you know, and I think that's really important with COVID-19 as well. Children are able to get COVID-19. They are not immune. That is just false. Children are able. I had a scare with my little guy and we took him to get tested. Thankfully, it was negative, but I saw the fever, the coughing, the runny nose, and I took him to get tested. What we're finding in our kids, they have a lot of the same symptoms as adults. So they have the fever, the runny nose, the sore throat, chills, muscle pain, headache, vomiting, nausea, diarrhea. And like if you've had young kids, kids come home with colds all the time from school. So it's hard to know. What we're also seeing in children that's interesting, and I'm I'm curious for the science to come out, it's this multi-system inflammatory syndrome. And that can be like fever... Uh, belly pain or the rash. If you've heard about rash, some children are getting, and that's a a side effect symptom of COVID-19. So neck pain, rash, red eyes, 
even like feeling very tired. Well, who doesn't have a young kid who's very tired? So that's what's tricky about this virus. Your kid can be very tired and have a rash, have COVID-19. They can be completely asymptomatic and have COVID-19. That's what's scary about it. Or they could have the fever, the cough, like what you're seeing in adults. Yes, it's real. Yes, they can get it. And they need to be wearing a mask and being as safe as adults are, especially with the hand washing and the mouth covering and all of those things that adults are following. How effective is PPE? You know, I'm sure we've all heard this. It's kind of common at this point. You're really protecting the other person when you're wearing PPE. So when you have the mask on, it's keeping your spit and your particles from going out to that other person. And so it's certainly more helpful than not wearing a mask. This is the reason that dentists and doctors and medical professionals wear masks, right? We know it does catch and it does help. We know that washing your hands, like that's a no-brainer. That gets germs off of your hands. Like if you're out and about, wash them before you eat anything. Don't touch your face. And then staying six feet apart because that's what they're saying. Like that's the trajectory of, you know, speaking with someone to being in their vicinity. It's not 100%. Nothing is 100%. But does it help? Yes. Should we follow our local health care and government officials and um health department. That's the word I was looking for. Health department officials. If they're telling us to do it, I trust them and I'm going to do it. We've mentioned on several occasions, school has already begun, at least where we are. And I probably most of the country, I'm assuming after the first nine weeks, the intention is to transition to brick and mortar school setting, traditional teaching, learning environment. What are you hoping to see as we make that transition over the coming weeks? I am hoping to see patience and grace. (laughs) And I know that's a funny way to answer it, but we have to have patience and grace with the administrators, with the teachers. They do not want this. They don't want end of grade testing to be done virtually. They want their kids in the classroom. They have not said it'll be full in person January 4th or whatever, you know, after Christmas break, like they're managing expectations. They are being really honest to say, we don't know. I saw Dr. Contreras on the news last night. We don't know because there could be another outbreak and we button up, right? Or we could get community spread under wraps and a vaccine could come out. So it's just such a waiting game of we have to do what's best based on what we know right now. And right now, the science says, stay six feet apart, limit exposure between kids, wear a mask. We've got to keep our teachers safe. So I know what I can hope, but I also know what the science says. And I think the school systems have to follow the recommendations from CDC, our local health officials, to do what's safest for our kids and our family. We don't know right now. We're making the decision through this fall, and then we don't know. We will let you know as soon as we know. Um, It's like they're all reading off the same playbook. And I agree with that. That's all you can do is make a decision based on what you know right now. First Lady Michelle Obama mentioned food deserts some years ago. She brought that to the attention of the American public. The pandemic shines a light on that. The one thing I didn't mention with our community work, we had a private donor who is focusing on third meal. Breakfast is served, lunch is served, third meals like that dinner meal over the summer we addressed specifically the homeless student population in Guilford County, which unfortunately there are over 3,000 homeless 
children in the Guilford County school system, which is heartbreaking and hard to believe. So we were able to get out gift cards and food vouchers for that homeless population and their families, um, even gas cards and just like assistance for, for health and everyday items. And so you had asked how American Heart was changing. I, I was going to say pivoting, but that's like the most overused word. So I try not to say pivot, but what we're really focused on is five major issues, women's health, blood pressure, health equity, social determinants of health, which is where food security falls into. And then um, vaping is still big as well. In the triad specifically, we have 47 food deserts. And a food desert is an area of a mile radius where people don't have access like to a grocery store to buy healthy foods. And so you'll see a lot of our local priorities is focused around food security because people who eat well and feel well produce good results. And we also know that if you have a great diet, that helps to build your immunity, which then helps to keep you healthy and maybe help against contracting COVID-19. So it all goes hands in hand, and it's really important. A component of what you do is educating, informing. How do you broadcast your message of the American Heart Association? We always say that we are a strong organization because of our science, our brand, and our grassroots efforts. And so one thing that you'll see change, we are going to be running more television ads. And so American Heart was usually not on TV. Like you see some of our sister partner nonprofit organizations who are visible on TV. You will see more of American Heart Association on national television to say, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're focused on. Here are the warning signs of heart attack and stroke. This summer, we launched a Don't Die of Doubt campaign. 911 calls were down 40% nationwide for people having heart attack and stroke. You'll also see us digitally. So like we've got a Triad American Heart Association Facebook page, Instagram account, Twitter account. You'll see us there with health messaging and the warning signs of heart attack and stroke, which I probably should mention. For heart attack, you can feel a huge pressure in your chest. That's the major warning signs in men. So pain in your arm, pain like an elephant sitting on your chest. Women, you can feel that too. You could also have pain in your neck, pain in your jawbone. You could feel nauseous, really out of breath. A lot of women will say, you know, normally I'm fine walking up the stairs, but I've just been really out of breath the past two weeks and haven't gained weight, haven't done whatever, don't know what's going on. So go find out what's going on. And then for stroke, remember the acronym FAST. So it's face drooping, arm weakness, speech slurring, time to call 911. And then also we work with hundreds of companies across the triad. We had an information session with Dixon Hughes Goodman last week, and we did a breakfast and learn session. And so we talked about warning signs of COVID, how to work out from home, how to increase your resiliency, mental health, and also um, fruits and vegetables to eat to help with immunity. So we're working with hundreds of companies across the triad to get messaging out through our events and campaigns. What would you say is the greatest challenge standing before you currently? For American Heart or for? American Heart Association. Gosh, there's so many ways to answer that. It's our mission that's being impacted and it's revenue and funds. Our fiscal year ends June 30th. We saw almost $100 million lost in revenue. That's a big number and that impacts our mission. That is $55 million in research that couldn't be funded. 
that's employees lost. We laid off over 400 employees in July. And so those are 400 people who cannot have a community impact and help make a difference in the community. Like I mentioned with our local programs, we're an event heavy organization. We've got Heart Walk, Heart Ball, Go Red for Women. These are luncheons and 10,000 people walks and 500 person black tie galas where we fundraise for our mission. And so we've had to turn all of that virtual. What's been really heartwarming is a lot of our local sponsors, I mean, I dare say like 95% are right along there with us because they're funding our mission. So instead of being the valet sponsor at a Heartball, they are the food security sponsor that gives this many meals at this location for a month. What's really been heartwarming is the community and our corporations have just like rallied to say, what can we do to help get people tested or get masks out? or even CPR. So it's a state law that high schoolers have to be trained in CPR before they graduate, and they typically learn it in eighth grade. And so we need to make sure CPR mannequins are given to the school so these students can learn CPR for a graduation requirement. Like, that's a great need. And then you figure out maybe how to do that virtually so we can further our mission and help the community to be healthy and to get through this together. For someone who's in a position to make a donation, how would they go about doing that? Do they need to earmark funds or how will they go about that? If you just Google Triad American Heart Association, you'll find our website. It's got our board of directors. It's got health information and it's got all of our events. Or if you go to our social pages, just send us a message. But companies can be a sponsor. So you can sponsor these community health initiatives. Individuals can make a donation and sponsor. And whether it's $25 or a six-figure gift, like you're making an impact that impacts our community locally. And we really need it right now. If you are able to help, please do. You have a special event coming up October the 18th. That's not that far away. Tell me more about that event. We do. So this is the 26-year-old Winston-Salem Heart and Stroke Walk. Um, The Healthy for Good sponsors, main sponsors are Wake Forest Baptist Health and MedCost. And then another top sponsor who is our Life is Why sponsor is Novant Health. So I think it's important to know that our, you know, the leaders in our community are on board for community engagement and, and to have a little fun. Like I said, it's okay for a mental health break and to laugh and to go out and walk with your family. And so go to social media, look up Winston-Salem Heart Walk. You can find the website. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And you can register for free. So we want to make sure this health messaging is available to people for free. So once you register, you can help us fundraise. You can make a team for free. And you can invite your neighborhood, your neighbors, your colleagues, your family to join you. And then the weekend of October 18th, walk where you are. So normally, it's downtown at Bailey Park. But this year, for the safety of our community, we're asking you to walk where you are and walk your neighborhood or where you normally do. Take pictures, post them online share that you've walked. And four weeks leading up to the walk, we'll have like Heart Walk Wednesdays where we'll have all kinds of health messaging. Um, We're even going to have like a a bingo session where you can win prizes. So just fun things to do that are rooted in health and also rooted in like mental health and taking a break and community engagement. Miss Lawson, I thank you for dropping by and having this conversation with me today. Thank you. Thank you, John, for inviting me. Jennifer Lawson, Executive Director, American Heart Association. For more information on heart health, visit www.heart.org. 
That's our podcast for today. I'm John C. Lemon. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. Thank you.